Hey, and thanks for taking the time to listen with us here at Gospel Way as we seek to find rest in Christ. Please know that this is supplemental and does not replace your local church or the pastor that God has given to shepherd your soul. But it is our prayer that God will use these resources to bless you and point you to Jesus. Romans chapter number 12, and this week we will be covering 6 through 8. But I was telling Lindsay on the drive back today that she asked me if I was covering tonight or if I had turned it over. And I was like, well, I've already studied for it, so I figured I might as well do it. <laughs> so uh, we are going to be looking at those verses. There are a few things that I do want to cover in kind of in line with this section of Scripture that can hopefully help us gain a an understanding of what Paul's heart is here. I know last week we looked at the, uh, the different functions of the body, how the body is diverse, but that diversity brings unity. Talked about the different parts of the body, different ha- members having different responsibilities. And uh, little did I know that I was going to break my toe on the Tuesday after we talked about that. But it goes to prove the point that whenever one small part goes the wrong direction, or something happens to a small member, it can cause pain in a lot of other places. And not, not to, I won't belabor this, I promise, but it will cause the rest of your foot to hurt, and then you have to start walking weird, so your calf starts hurting, and then your other leg starts hurting, So, which maybe I'm just blaming all that on my foot. But in any case, um, it's important that the members be unified because that's the way that God put things together. Even in Ephesians, that's some of what we've been going over in school this week. Paul uses the analogy of the body, which he uses here to the Romans, but he also uses the analogy of a building. And what Paul's point is in both of these places is that God is putting together his body. He's, put, he's building his church. And just as we talked about last week where Christ is the head of the body, he talks about Christ being the cornerstone of the church. It's where the church meets together. It's the center of everything, just like the head is the center of the body. Christ is the preeminent one in all of what we're talking about. And what Paul does here, again, we're going to kind of recap some of what we've talked about over the past couple weeks, but he talks about in light of chapters 1 through 11, us understanding that God has paid for and given us the grace to be a part of his body. We are literally living sacrifices is what Paul says in verse number one. Verse number three, he talks about this living sacrifice points us to the humility that we're going to have within the body. So we're sacrificing ourselves in the service of God. That's what Paul said. He said, this is your reasonable service. And because we understand this reasonable service, we're going to have humility if we understand it correctly. And what Paul's going to do is he's going to cover some of the gifts that God has given to edify his body and the ways that he has given these gifts. But what we can't forget is verse number three and verse number one, that he has done all this because of his own plan. And he has done all this so that we don't in ourselves take pride in the gifts that we've been given. And we'll cover some of that in, in verses six through eight. We'll go ahead and read verses 6 through 8. Paul says, Having then gifts differing according to the grace that is given to us, whether prophecy, let us prophesy, according to the portion 
of faith. Or ministry, let us wait on our ministering. Or, teach, or that he that teach, teacheth on teaching. Or he that exhorteth on exhorting. He that giveth, let him do it with simplicity. He that ruleth with diligence. He that showeth mercy with cheerfulness. And what Paul is doing here is he's listing out the different... He, obviously, this isn't an extensive list, but he's listing out, in essence, the categories that we find ourselves in in the body of Christ. And what he starts out to say here in verse number 6, he says, "...having then gifts differing according to the grace that is given to us." And that's the first thing that I want to look at this evening is the grace that is given. That's, that's, that Paul's not leaving his theme when he's talking about these gifts. He points us back to the way that we got these gifts. Right. If we're a part of the body of Christ and we have been gifted, and we will see that all of us have been gifted, but if we are part of the body of Christ and we've been gifted by Christ, We've been gifted in the same way and for the same reason that we were brought into the body, and that's by grace. It's only by the grace of God that any of us are part of the body of Christ. And in that same way, it's only by the grace of God that any of us have any gifting to edify the body of Christ. He says there, having gifts according to the grace that is given to us, and the other thing that we can point out there quickly as we, as we start to move into what these actually are is that all of us have the, that gift. There are going to be different kinds of gifts, which Paul talks about. There's going to be different levels, so to speak, of these gifts. They're going to be different. Some person may have a lot more of a gift than another person has, and some person may have a different kind of gift than another person has. But all of these gifts are by grace, and God has purposed that whatever gift that we've been given is going to be used for His glory. And when we stand back and look at this, we, we don't, again, we don't want to take what Paul's saying and look at somebody else and say, well, they've been given the gift of prophesying and they are, they are, are great at speaking the Word of God. Or they have, they're such a servant. And we look at that person and say, I wish I could serve like they do. What Paul is doing here, he's trying to back us away from this thought of I wish that I could like this other person. Or I don't have as much as this other person. He's backing us away from that thought and pointing us to the fact that it's the grace that God has given to bring glory to his people and ultimately glory to his name. That is why he's given out these gifts. In studying for this, one of the things that came to mind was a parable that Jesus gives. He gives it once in Matthew chapter number 25, and he gives it once in Luke chapter number 19. And a lot of us may be familiar with this parable. Me and Lindsay, again, we're talking about this on the ride home today. But it was a parable of the talents is what, is what we refer to it as. Because it talks about a man who gives his servants when he gives him five, he says, you take this. When he gives him four, he says, you take this. And when he gives him one, and he says, you take this. And he goes away, and he comes back. And the one who had five had turned it into ten. And the one who had four had turned it into six. And the one who had one had taken it and held on to it. And the master gets mad and says, you've done unjustly. You're lazy. You're slothful. Cast him out into outer darkness. Basically, have him killed. And what we typically think of when we hear that parable is we think of it being Christ is the master and we're the one that's given the talents. 
But that goes contrary to what Paul is telling us here. And honestly, it goes contrary to the heart of Christ that we find in the Gospels. If we look in the context of those two places, it comes right after he calls Zacchaeus down. And Zacchaeus had done just what that profitable servant had done. He had taken the money and he had made it more. Christ didn't tell him, good job, Zacchaeus. You take this money, you take it up to the temple. I am glad I found you. That's not what Paul tells Zacchaeus. He says, take what you took and give it back twofold. And that's what Zacchaeus does. So what we can understand from these parables and from what Paul is trying to convey to us is that it's not about making these gifts known and widespread. It's about taking these gifts, edifying the church, and bringing glory to God. And Paul says that this is done in a couple of different ways. Verse number six, he says, it's only by the grace that we've been given. And he's listing out a few different different types of gifts. And that's going to be the points tonight. There's only, I think there's what, four, five, six, seven. There was more than I thought there was. There's seven gifts that Paul mentions here. He mentions prophecy. He mentions ministering. He mentions teaching, exhorting, giving, leading, and mercy. We'll quickly cover those and tie them back into, again, verses specifically for verse number five. So the first gift that Paul talks about here, he says, whether prophecy, let us prophesy according to the proportion of faith. And that word prophecy that Paul is using here, he's not talking about some kind of fortune telling. He's not saying somebody's stepping up and saying this is going to happen to you tomorrow. Paul is actually using a word here that means to deliver inspiration or take something that is inspired and deliver it. What Paul is literally speaking to is he's talking to those that will take the inspired scriptures and deliver that to his people. He's saying God has specifically gifted some people in such a way that They are able to take what God has already inspired and deliver it to people around them. For the most part, in in our understanding of this, most of the time we would look at this as somebody who is a pastor or a preacher. But in Paul's conveying this to the church at Rome, he's not just talking to pastors and preachers. He's talking to anyone that has been gifted in explaining the Word of God. And again, this points us back to, and this is probably something that I will repeat, but it points us back to this humility. It's not that Paul in any of these gifts is lifting up one over another, but he's saying these are the ways that we are to edify the church. That's the only purpose for any of these gifts is to build the church up. So he talks, well, first of all, he talks about prophesying, he talks about giving out the inspired scriptures. This is going to happen a lot of times. It will happen in a church context where we're building up through the exposition of scripture, through looking down through the text of scripture and seeing what the scripture says, that inspired scripture that has been preserved for us being delivered by somebody. But in other times, we're going to find that in our witness from day to day. We're taking the gospel. We're taking the scriptures and delivering it in such a way that somebody can hear what God has said and understand what God has said. 
It's not necessarily just somebody getting up and reading, but it's a gift that God has given to bring people into the church. So we're building up the church and we're bringing people into the church. And most of the other gifts involve the inside of the church and inside of the four walls, so to speak. But this first gift, Paul uses as a spearhead to point to the way that God ultimately does the business of the church. So he's taking his own word and using his people to deliver it to those who are his people and to those who will become his people. So Paul says, not only prophesying, let him prophesy, but the next thing he talks about is ministering. He said, let us wait on our ministering. And this word ministering is a, it was really interesting to me. The word that Paul uses here for ministering is the root word from which deacon is taken. What the word ministering here, it literally means is serving. Paul's saying those who have been gifted to serve, let them wait on their serving. What Paul's in essence saying, he said those of you that have been gifted to serve the others in the church... Let them wait on or look for their serving. What Paul is saying, he said that there's going to be people in your midst that do not want the spotlight at all. And all they do is they stand back and they look around and they wait. They look around for, their, for the serving. They say, where can I serve? They see things that need to be done. And before you know it, that person or those people have come in and they have started to do those things that needed to be done without anybody telling them that they needed to be done. That's what Paul is saying here. He's saying that some have been given the gift of prophesying or the gift of delivering the inspired word. But some have been given the gift of ministering. Some have been given the gift to do the things that need to be done. And again, it's no it's no coincidence that this is the same word that Paul uses in other texts to pull out the word deacon. If you look it up in, in, the, in the Greek, it literally sounds like deacon. I don't know how to read Greek. I'm not saying that I do, but that's, that's what it's spelled like. It's spelled like the word deacon is. And if we're going to understand the office of deacon correctly, then this needs to be one of the gifts that we're looking for in men that we ordain to be deacons. But it's not just a gift for deacons. Just like this prophecy is not just a gift for pastors. It's a gift that we've all been given in some way, shape, or form. But there are going to be some that we can see specifically in these people's lives that they have been gifted to serve the church. Paul moves on. He says not only those who have the gift of ministry... They are to be looking for and waiting on their ministering. But he says, or he that hath teaching on, he that teacheth on teaching. So Paul, again, uses an interesting word for this, for this concept of teaching. And when we think of this, my mind, my mind may be different than everybody else's probably is because it's kind of strange sometimes. But the word that Paul uses here for teaching isn't a Sunday school teacher. It's not an elementary teacher. It's not somebody that you think of as getting up and teaching something. 
But it's the same thing that Paul commands the older men to do and the older women to do in the book of Timothy. He says, and he says to Timothy, in Ephesus, I want you to look around. He tells him about all this grace that has been given. What this grace produces, he says, look around you and you're going to see people that are older and they're going to be teaching the younger. You're going to see people who have knowledge and they're going to be giving out the knowledge. What it actually speaks to is giving knowledge to those who don't have it. Teaching people things that they don't know. Right. Obviously, we're going to get the principles from the scripture. But what Paul is speaking to specifically in this teaching gift is those who are able to explain things to people that they don't know about. It doesn't even have to be about a specific verse of Scripture, but they're teaching them those principles that they can hand down to others. They're teaching them those things on how they can live a life that exemplifies Christ to the ones who have not yet learned how to show Christ through their life. That's that gift of teaching that God gives. And ironically, that gift in with these others is a gift that grows with age. And we know that because of what Paul said to Timothy. He said, you're going to look around, you're going to see these older men and these older women who have been specifically given the gift of teaching as they grow in age. And why does God do this? Because these other gifts may not be able to be done as someone grows in age. But they can always be teaching those that are under them. Paul is in essence saying that there is no unusefulness in the body of Christ. Even looking around at ourselves, we can never look inwardly and say that I have gotten to a point in my life where I've done too much to be of any help to anybody. Or I've gotten to a point in my life where I am too old to help anybody. Or I've gotten to a point in my life where I just am socially drawn back. Whatever it may be, Paul is saying that anybody who has gained the knowledge of the principles of Christ has been given the gift to pass this information along to those around them. As Paul says, teaching, let him teach. Paul goes on to speak to Exhorting, He said, he that exhorteth on exhortation. This word for exaltation is really the same idea that we get discipleship from. The word that Paul used here means to call alongside of. Whereas teaching is giving knowledge to those who don't yet have it, exhortation is encouraging those who do have that knowledge. It's those who come alongside of the ones who may have been around, may know some of these principles and say, you're doing a good job. You're following. Look, look at these people over here. They see Christ in you in a way that you probably don't even see. It's those people that are able to see the things that God is doing in your life and to encourage you to continue in those things. Yes, And again, this is one of those gifts that kind of couple along with teaching because not only do we need to be passing information along to those who don't have it, but we need to be exhorting and encouraging those who do have it to continue on so that that can be passed to them and they can in turn teach and exhort those that come behind them. See, God has not given a ministry to his church and left it to be and die. God has put in a place 
that as he builds his church, he cycles through these gifts so that his church doesn't die. His church is continually edified, continually built up until we get to the point that Brother Ricky talked about this evening and everything is renewed. So we have that exaltation that means to bring alongside, to encourage. In the book of Acts, real quick note, that was, that was what the name Barnabas meant. Barnabas, that was what he did. Paul and others say that he was the one who would come alongside and he would encourage people. When we see these, these different characters in the scriptures, and actually if you do were to look through the book of Acts and take this list with you, you'll start to be able to pick out characters that God is putting in his church that he shows us in the book of Acts specifically so we can see the continuation of his gospel. Paul gives us that model in the book of Acts so we can look and say he didn't just start this with our generation, but he started this with his ascension. He said, this is our, he said it. He said, I will build my church. And that's what he's doing. He's doing this by gifting those members of his church, those lively stones that Peter talks about, those ones that he has fitly joined together. He's put these stones together perfectly because they edify, they build each other up and they build his church into the structure that he is pleased with and that brings glory to his name. So not only exhortation, but Paul continues on. He said, he that giveth, let him do it with simplicity. And I have heard this verse referring to people who are more financially stable, that God has obviously gifted them to be able to give back to the church. But that is not at all what Paul's saying here. Paul is pointing to the same people that he talks about in the book to the Thessalonians. He specifically points over to Macedonia and he says that they gave out of their poverty. What they were doing, and they weren't giving to Paul, and that's something else that for some reason gets skewed somewhere in most teaching about giving. What the church in Macedonia was doing is they were giving resources to Paul to take to the church in Jerusalem that was being persecuted. They weren't building Paul's ministry up. They were saying, look, these guys in Jerusalem, they need something right now. So you take what we've got down to them. And that's part of what Paul was doing. In essence, Paul was fundraising, in a sense, for the church in Jerusalem that was under persecution. Because we understand, again, from the book of Acts, that God sent persecution to Jerusalem to scatter the people so that his church would grow. Because they were told to go, and they didn't. Which is what he does even in Babel. God said, go out. They all went to Babel. God said, okay. You didn't do what I said, so I'm going to do it for you. But that's what he did to Jerusalem. So these people are under persecution, but he has not left them out in the cold. He's made a way for other people to share with them. And that's what that word giving means. It just means to be inside of us giving people. Not necessarily even resources, but helping hands. Whatever way that we can think of in sharing to build up the church, that's what Paul was speaking of. He's talking about those ones that you can look at. And again, we, with all these gifts, we have characters in the book of Acts and we have people around us that we can think of and say, this person has that gift. I can see that in them. But he talks about the ones who are always giving some out of their poverty, some out of their resources, but the ones that God has gifted 
to give of themselves in whatever manner it may be. And again, giving is also coupled in with this teaching and exhorting because we're calling alongside and we're giving out information. So some, again, some of these gifts we will see in different levels, so to speak, in different quantities, but they're all of the same quality. They're all to bring glory to God and to build up his church. So the last two that Paul talks about here, he talks about giving or sharing. He says, let them do it with simplicity. And again, so we don't jump over that word. Paul's saying the same way he said up in verse number four, where he says, let not a man think more of himself than he ought. That's the same word that Paul uses here for simplicity. He's saying not in such a way that you are being built up in pride over it. In essence, this is what he's saying. He said, if you're going to give, give in such a way that you're not going to stand back and say, well, my family built this church. That's not the type of giving that Paul is talking about here. He's talking about giving of ourselves with simplicity. He leads on into another gift. Here in verse number eight, he says, he that ruleth with diligence. So he's saying him that has been gifted to rule, let him rule with diligence, not lazily, not standing back, not assuming other people are going to do the work for them, but to work diligently, to put their mind and their focus toward this leadership. And what Paul is speaking towards here is he's speaking to the offices that have been placed into the church. Again, to look at the word that Paul uses, the word leader or lead here means to champion a cause. It means to grab hold of a cause and to become the champion of that cause. And what Paul's saying, he, and, and we understand this a lot from the book of Timothy, he's saying there are going to be certain ones that show a specific gift to be the ones who will take up a cause and go with it. Paul tells Timothy and Titus specifically, he tells Titus, he said, when you get to Crete, set elders in the churches in Crete. He tells Timothy, when you're in Ephesus, set elders in the churches in Ephesus. He tells Timothy and Titus both, again, with the deacons. He said, set specific deacons over specific areas. And while these people will have other giftings, there will be specific people that have been gifted with a role of leadership or an office of leadership. So while we will have, again, people who are delivering the inspired word or serving or teaching or exhorting, some of these gifts will require an office and God is calling us through the book of Romans and through the Apostle Paul for the church to seek out those people, to see who God has gifted in these roles of leadership, and to let those people edify the body. And again, lest we belabor that fact, he's not calling these people to lord over the body. That's exactly what Peter says. He says, those who are called to be shepherds do not lord over the flock of God. You're not above the flock of God. You're on the same level. You've just been gifted in a way to be able to champion that cause, to be the person that other people come alongside of. And even if we, if we think back to the way that people would do battle in those days, they didn't, they didn't war like we do now. They didn't run into towns and search different houses and all that. They lined up. 
and they just went in. But typically, the ones who were over groups of soldiers were right in the middle of them. There was no, hey, this guy's going to stay back here so he doesn't get killed. But a lot of times, the generals in that day did get killed because they were right in the midst of everybody else. And that's what Paul's saying. There's going to be those who have been gifted where other people look at them and they're all running into this together. They're going to be those who are gifted to prophesy or to speak the inspired word. And there are going to be those around them that are also gifted, possibly not in, the, in, in a different quantity. They're going to look to those men and say, all right, we're going to get in behind and beside of this man and we're going to follow him. With the deacons, the same aspect. You're going to have people who are servants at heart, who are giving of themselves. And there's going to be specific people in that group that they say, we're going to get behind and we're going to go with this person. We're going to do this together. Again, Paul is, he's in essence building a team, not some kind of ranking system. Because all of this, again, is pointing us back to the edification of the church. And then Paul concludes what he says here in these giftings by saying, He that showeth mercy with cheerfulness. And what the word mercy here is speaking to, it basically means empathy. He said, there's going to be those around you. And, and this is where we start to see, like all these others, the Bible start to fit together. Because he says, you're going to have those around you that when they see somebody who is happy, they are automatically happy with them. When, you, when they see somebody who is going through a hard time, they're right beside them bearing the burden of their hard time. Mm-hmm. When they see somebody who is sorrowing, they're right beside of them, sorrowing with them. It's this last gift that Paul speaks to that he is called fulfilling the law of Christ, which we've talked about before. Paul is saying there's going to be some around you that are specifically gifted to bear the burdens of other people. They've been given that gift where they can feel what you are feeling. And what Paul does with all of these is he ties them together and he, again, points us back to verses 4 and 5. And in, in, in an aspect, verse number 3, he says, All these things we're not to think more highly than we ought. So don't think of yourself that God has given you something that he's not given somebody else. According to God had dealt to every man a measure of faith. He says, As we have many members in one body... And all members have not the same office. So we being many are one body in Christ and every one member one of another. What Paul is pointing us back to, lest we lose sight, because what we automatically do is we start to categorize ourselves in other people's minds and think, well, this person is obviously more gifted than I am, so I'll just stand back and let them do the job. Or this person is not near as gifted as I am. I am am such a better servant of God than they are. But he's wanting us to look at our gifts in the way that he has given us those gifts. And what did he say was the way he had given us the gifts? The grace of God. Again, Paul is, as he has done in the last 11 chapters, pointing us to the grace of God in our salvation... He's pointing us to the need of grace in our gifting as well. 
Paul doesn't stop and say, you build up what's inside of you. And, and, and don't get me wrong. We are called to stoke up those gifts, to not let those gifts die in us. But Paul is not calling unto these people and saying, you better do this or God is going to judge you. Paul is saying, without you, the body is not going to function correctly. Not, 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 not to use this illustration again, but I'm going to. My pinky toe is not a big part of my body. But this week, I learned that I needed it more than I thought I did. And when that happened, I didn't do like the church typically does and cut it off because it was of no use to me anymore. Look, this person over here, they're bringing more harm than they are good to the church. Just get them out the door. We'll run better without them. That if I had that mentality this week, I would have just cut it off and went along my married way. I wouldn't have been hopping along all week. But like Paul is teaching us here, we need those small members. We need the members that we think of as being larger members. But can I be honest? My thigh muscle cannot write. I've not tried it. But I'm pretty sure my thigh muscles can't write a book. But God has given me small muscles in my fingers that can do those things. Yes. What Paul is teaching, again, I feel, like, I feel like we keep going back to this, but that's probably his intent here, is God knows what he's doing. Yes. God has placed specific people in specific areas, whether it be in our jobs or in our book, whatever vocation, whether... It's, it's, whether it's a, a vocation where we have to clock in and clock out or it's a vocation where we've been given some other responsibility. But wherever we're at, God has been gracious enough to gift us in the way that he knows we will edify the church the most. And if we look at these gifts in that way, we don't get a big head. We don't think, well, God has gifted me in this way and not this other person, so he obviously loves me more. But we see the need for grace more in our life than we do in their life. Because we understand, if it wasn't for the grace of God, I would be in way worse condition than any of these people. Yes. It brings us back on focus with the intent of God in his church. And who gets the glory if it's by grace? He was very specific about that in salvation. He says, by grace are you saved through faith. That not of yourselves. Because if it was of works, then we could boast. And Paul begins this section by saying, these gifts are of grace. Because if they're of works, then you can boast. But if we start boasting in our gifts, then odds are we may not be gifted in that way that we think that we are. And again, I know we've covered this in the past weeks, but that's why God calls us as a corporate body to pick out and point out those that have been gifted in those areas, to encourage those things, to build those things up, that they may be able to serve the body as well. But it's all of grace. It's all of God's own design. And none of us used to benefit ourselves. It's all used to bring glory to him and to build up others. If our gift is bringing glory to ourselves, 
and we've missed the boat. We missed right. the point. We missed everything. Yes, right. But if we look at any gifting and we see ourselves in humility, as Paul calls the church at Rome here to see themselves, but we can look around and see the body being edified and God getting the glory, then we see a perfect picture of God's design for the church. We see a perfect picture of our place in the church. And it gives us the motivation, like the gospel has a tendency to do, to drive us to continue in what we're doing. Not, not, not so that we have a master that looks at us and says, you did not make these gifts better, so out with you. Because we see a loving father that has said, I'm doing this to build you up. Doing this to build up those around you. I'm doing this so that people in your community and in your county and your nation and wherever it may be can look and say, look what God has done. Because he's doing what he promised. He's building his church. And we have the promise with that, that if he's building the church and the gates of hell, we'll never be able to prevail against what he is doing. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for the opportunity again to be in your house this evening.